Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food and eating it. So we wanted to talk to fellow food lovers and record their stories. We're having conversations with everyone from home cooks to food producers and restaurateurs. So why not join us as we explore food in all its glory? Welcome to the first ever episode of the At The Source podcast. My name's Karis. I live in Bristol and I'm originally from Brisbane, Australia. My name's Alex and I also live in Bristol and I'm originally from the Midlands in the UK. We did bond over our love. Well, Alex bonded over her love for Australia because she lived there and um, I bonded over knowing somebody who knew what I was talking about half the time. So that was really handy. Thank you, Twitter. I almost said Tinder. (laughs) Thank you, Twitter. It definitely was not Tinder, I can assure you. Anyway, this got awkward. So we we talk about food all the time. We talk about the food that we love, the food that we hate. And we talk to other people about food. And we thought, let's start recording some of these stories because some of them are really good stories. Some of them are really interesting because people are so passionate about what they do. And those people, are, they're working with food, whether that's a producer, they're the people rearing the the cattle that ends up on our plate, they're growing the vegetables and we love to talk to people and we just love to see how passionate they are about what they do. So we thought that what better way than kind of kicking off this podcast is to start with our own conversation about food. We um, have plans to kind of talk to all sorts of different people, just like Karis has said, but for now, uh, let's introduce you to us. So I'm going to kick off with a bit of a kind of interview question for you Karis. Tell me a bit about your background. How did you get into food? Food has food has very much always been a part of my life. Uh, when I was growing up my dad was a chef. My dad is French so he's classically trained in France uh, and he went to New Zealand one day to visit one of his friends who'd moved over there uh, and sort of never really came back to France after that. He was on his way back there actually when he stopped off in Australia and this is the story he tells and he says that the people that checked his visa said oh you're a chef are you well we're pretty short on those do you want to stay and this is this is the early 80s so that's really quite likely unlike Australia today but ever since then he's he's been in Australia and you know he met my mum and then I came along and my brother came along so yeah, foods kind of started back there because my father also loved his mother's cooking. He he will tell you that his mother is the best cook in the world and even he can't compare to what she can do. Um, not all of these things, but it's it's quite funny listening to him talk about this woman who has probably been cooking since she was 10 because that was the generation. And, you know, she's had no formal training. She's literally had to do all kinds of things just to put food on the table for her kids. And, yeah, he he loves it. I really only got into food when my parents got divorced because um, then I moved in with dad and he wasn't a chef anymore by that point. And, you know, we'd talk about food and we'd watch food programs together. And yeah, we, we don't really get along in the kitchen, but we get along when we're talking about food. And so you mentioned your grandma. She's obviously French and, and still lives in France. And do you do you ever cook with her when you when you visit? I have cooked with her once and that was a couple of years ago. Uh, dad was visiting from Australia and so we went over to France because that's much cheaper than flying back to Australia to visit your parents. Mm -hmm. So she makes 
a few different things that I really love. And I thought, well, here's the time. So I brought some scales with me, some electronic scales, because you know what grandparents are like. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a handful of this. So you never actually know what's going into it. So I bought scales. I really got into it and, you know, I bought a pad and pen and was writing everything down. And it was a great experience. She you know, she's in her late 80s. She spent the entire time telling me that I wasn't doing it right. You know, pa kum sa, kum sa, <laughs> pa kum sa, kum sa. So, you know, like this, not like this, like this. And so that's sort of been stuck in my head. Meanwhile, dad's over in the corner laughing his head off because he knew it was coming. He's tried doing it all before. And the funniest part is, is that he's exactly the same when I'm in the kitchen. You know, he's always like, oh, you know, do it like this. And, you know, it's it's not, you don't want to be in the kitchen when we're in the kitchen together. It's it's um, explosive, I think. You can take it in turns to cook. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the best way to go about it. So food really has been in your blood since you were born, essentially. Yeah, quite literally, I think. Um, <laughs> I remember cooking a barbecue at the age of six um, at a Petonk tournament in New Zealand. Um, there were merguez sausages that my dad loves and so did the French community. Um, and that's my earliest cooking memory. What about you? So I guess food wasn't kind of in my blood from the beginning in the same way that it was for you but I've certainly always loved eating um as a child I was always the one that my grandparents and my mum and dad would take the mickey out of because they could not believe how much I ate and I remember everyone always saying to me oh you know oh where do you put it you wait you wait until puberty sets in you you got to be careful and I just you know, loved the fact that I had this enormous appetite and would always ask if I could have an adult, you know, can I eat off the adult's menu if we went out for dinner and things like that. Um, and I guess my kind of, my my love of food just stemmed from loving tastes as opposed to, you know, cooking with my family or anything like that. But in my adult life, I write a food blog, Gingy Bites, which is coming up for seven which is seven quite impressive I think <laughs> I think that is quite impressive you know there's I, I started a blog probably back in 2010 or something and it lasted six months because I just didn't have the the patience to carry on with it but you know to keep it going for that long how did how did you start that and, and what is it that's kept you going I started my blog and I have a really clear, clear memory of when I started my blog. It was when I was made redundant from my first marketing job working for the now defunct airline British Midland. I was twiddling my thumbs, generally miserable. And my mum said to me, why don't you start a blog? You know, I, I love writing. I've always loved writing since I was a little girl. I love reading. And it was a really great idea. And even now she she loves to take the credit for that. But it was her why don't you start a blog? What what do you think that you might want to write about? Oh, food. And it grew from there. So I remember the, the very first recipe that I put on, and it's still live on the blog, if, if anyone can be bothered to scroll all the way back. It was a hairy biker's steak and kidney pie that I made for my brother and my stepbrother. And I think I wrote about the pie didn't put the recipe down, didn't put the method, list the ingredients, and then just put one single picture at the end. And of course, six, seven years ago, the picture was taken on a really rubbish, like iPhone 3 or something. <laughs> it's really pixelated and just looks terrible. But my blog now is, it's an integral part of my life. It's its outlasted jobs, boyfriends, um, places that I've lived, 
a husband. <laughs> it's um, I believe that's a story for another blog. Absolutely. <laughs> but the point is, uh, Gingy Bites is me, and I am Gingy Bites. I guess is it's everything. Wow, that that sounds really intense, but it, it's a big part of my life. That's fair enough. How did you come up with Gingy Bites? Well, aside from the obvious, but I'm not actually that ginger. No, I know. And people don't always believe me, but when I was born and when I was a little girl, my hair was ginger, like proper carrot ginger. And my childhood name is Gingy. My family all call me Gingy. So although as I've grown older, my hair has faded out and now I'm, I like to say blonde. I'll go strawberry blonde. Strawberry blonde. I'll accept that. It it was my name. It was my my childhood name. My sister only refers to me as Gingy, and it it just it came to me like a flash of inspiration one night, and it, and it stuck. So there you go. So I guess that's enough about our backstories. I would like to talk to you about things that you enjoy eating. So my question to you, Karis, is: It's a Tuesday night. You've just got in from work. What do you want to eat? Ha, see, there's a problem. What do I want to eat versus what I can be bothered putting together? If I could have anything, I would go with Vietnamese food. It's it's my favourite cuisine. It's always so light and fresh and it's just full of herbs. So it's absolutely delicious, not just to eat, but, you know, you can just breathe in all these beautiful, fresh flavours and it, it's kind of bummed me out a little bit because I can't get that as easily in Bristol as I could back home in Australia because there was probably in every suburb in Brisbane and probably the rest of Australia there was at least one Thai and probably more than one at least one Indian probably more than one at least one Vietnamese at least one Chinese at least you know a Japanese or a Korean so it's so easily accessible um, and it's, yeah, it's been a big change. So if I want Vietnamese food, I have to make it myself. And some of those ingredients aren't hard to, are hard to find. So, you know, if I want to make up a salad um, and I want Vietnamese mint, good luck finding Vietnamese mm. mint, good luck finding a green mango. But if I want it, then I make it myself. So that's really important. That's definitely a really valid point about um, kind of East Asian food in Australia, because Dave and I uh, lived in Melbourne for five months in 2016 and I just fell in love with like yum cha and the ramen. There were so many amazing ramen restaurants there and I think that um, the UK has a bit of catching up to do on that front for sure. I definitely haven't tasted ramen as brilliant as I had in Melbourne here in the UK. Although hopefully we're going to Japan this, oh hang on where are we? Not this summer, that's already happened next year. So I'm going to eat even more delicious ramen than I could get in Melbourne. You will come back as ramen, I can assure you. I, My time in Japan was just me finding the best ramen, the best okonomiyaki, the best bento boxes. Oh, I'm so excited. Anyway, we could talk about that for ages, but... This is what we do, though, isn't it? We yeah. just We go down a rabbit warren of something that started off as saying, oh, what do you want for dinner? And before you know it, we've waffled on about the joy of ramen for half an hour. I know, it's scary. What's your favourite? If you, I mean, it's really hard to pick a dish. I can pick a dish, and that would be bungar, which is the Vietnamese um, rice noodle salad with lots of fresh vegetables and nok mam sauce. 
But what would you pick? I honestly don't know. I'm really rubbish at answering this question because people ask me quite often, oh, Alex, what's your favourite dish? And honestly, it varies massively. So I can certainly narrow it down to wet food. (laughs) Mm, Um, I love I love spicy food. Um, growing up in the Midlands, you know, there's a in Leicester in particular, which is where I near where I grew up. There is a really huge Bangladeshi and um, Pakistani community, and I feel like I was blessed with amazing curry. And actually, some of the best curry I've ever eaten was from restaurants in Leicester. So, I quite often will get a craving for a really good Indian curry. But really, anything soupy, stew um noodles anything in a in a rich spicy broth but also gravy I'm a massive massive gravy lover I could drink it I do drink it out of the jug oh wow I thought I loved gravy but apparently that's nothing on you it's fine because this is a podcast and no one can see me drinking gravy out of a mug anywho what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten okay where to start so Karis I have this rule that I will put anything I'm talking about food here I will put any food in my mouth once. I will try everything once. So, for example, I have eaten beef lung. I've eaten chicken feet. I've eaten all sorts of safari animals that you could possibly think of. I have eaten quite a lot of offal. Probably the most unusual thing, though, that I've tasted, not eaten, is... Uh, when Dave and I were in Darwin, we licked the bottom of an ant. Uh, how does one lick the bottom <laughs> of an ant? So there are these ants. They're, they're quite big. They're about an inch long. They're pretty like fearsome and scary to look at. And they are kind of green in colour. And their bum <laughs> um, secretes a kind of citrusy lemon sherbet kind of liquid and apparently um in the aboriginal communities this particular type of ant is really popular and they would kind of crush them down to make a cordial or they'd use it as like cold and flu remedy um you are not making this sound this is genuinely a true thing and when um dave kind of said to me oh alex lick this ant's bum obviously i was kind of no But then he did it and the people that we were with did it. And I thought this is either a huge prank for the tourists or it's genuinely like one of the coolest, weirdest things I'll ever do in my life. And, you know, I'm I'm game to give it a go. So I licked that ant's bum and and it was very pleasant. (laughs) Well, I don't think I can beat that. Um, And I'm okay with that, actually. I'm not as brave as you, probably. My husband is quite brave and he'll he'll have a go at anything. I'm I'm a little bit more discerning, though. So I will I'm a very textural eater, so I don't enjoy things that are really chewy, like the time that I had um, crocodile ceviche or pig intestines at a Chinese restaurant. When I was in Spain last year, I ate a live shrimp. It was about maybe three centimetres long, it's transparent, actually quite sweet, but has the same kind of crunchy after effect that you get after you've eaten crickets or something like that. So do you, would you say that in that situation it was the texture and the crunch as opposed to the, the flavour or the fact that it was a, a little wriggly shrimp that put you off? I'd say it's because it was alive that put me off the most. Yeah. But I, was... I ate it and I gave it a go. 
see, I don't know how I feel about that because there's um, there's quite a, a, a growing trend. You might have seen it on YouTube. And if anyone wants to Google it, you will be able to find it quite easily in Japan and, and in Korea. And actually, I saw this when we were in Korea earlier oh, this year. yeah. Where um, it's usually with like squid or, you know, little baby octopus where it will be served essentially live on like a hot griddle or, or whatever. And, and you and it's kind of all still wiggling and you eat it and it's a it's a difficult one because on the one hand we we choose to eat meat and fish and and we kill them and we farm them for for that purpose but that made me feel uncomfortable to to witness I didn't actually try it myself it's taken a dark turn here Karis yeah maybe we should think about something a little bit more bright and cheery I think we probably should Although, before we talk about things that are bright and cheery, I just have one more thing to ask you about. Um, I remember you mentioning to me once um, about tripe soup. Oh, I I couldn't do it. Uh, We went to Romania a few months ago, and when I travel, I... I like to make a list of all the traditional food that I can get there and then try as much of it as possible. And one of them was tripe soup when we were in Romania a few months ago. And at various points in our trip, we had one to a guide who said it was the greatest thing he's ever eaten in his life and he loves it. He would have it every day if he could. (laughs) And then one other to a guide saying he did not like it at all. And that made me feel a lot better because, Mm. I mean, I've had tripe before and it's just maybe it's been cooked wrong the time I had it. But I just the texture is just really off-putting, and it really doesn't. Yeah, I, I guess if you're not used to having that kind of texture, it's really, really off-putting. But you know, offal is is much bigger here in the UK and Europe than it is in Australia. I think that's quite a recent thing in the UK. Obviously, like we've come full circle because as you kind of your country gets wealthier and people are able to choose the cuts of meat that they want to eat it obviously means that lots of the animal is wasted but I definitely think that in the last kind of five years there's been a kind of renaissance of nose to tail eating Mm. and I love that and I will try um offal I had really beautiful offal and I'm trying to think what it was and it was at Adelina Yard here in Bristol which is a really nice little restaurant that I think is quite often overlooked because they're not they don't shout the loudest they don't get all the bloggers in so they're not plastered all over everywhere you know and it was oh what was it it might have been sweetbreads or it might have been it wasn't kidneys, but anyway, I can't remember, but it was absolutely stunning. And I will find out and I'll, I'll add it into the show notes because I think I have a photo of it as well. Anything can anything can be, pre- be prepared and made to taste amazing. You know, if you, if you, um, it's like the time I had the crocodile ceviche, it was not good, but it just wasn't prepared well because mm. I've had other crocodile that's been delicious. So, and I had a friend make, I think she cooked emu once and we were all a bit like we should never have prepared it this way. But there are plenty of ways that – and I've had kangaroo where, you know, it's been beautifully cooked just like a piece of beef. But then I've had it where somebody's tried to marinate it and then, you know, it was just overcooked and horrible. So, you know, and it's it really, really depends easy. on the preparation. It's really easy to overcook kangaroo, right? Uh, look, it's. I think it's really easy to overcook and undercook everything. <laughs> you, and in some cases, I mean, I think I would rather have overcooked chicken than undercooked chicken. Mm. But it's one of those things that you, there are things that are really easy to do well and there are things that are really easy to mess up. So I guess we're almost out of time. I don't know if it sounds like we've just had a little rant or a little 
random discussion, but this is exactly what I hope that our podcast will be, is just a couple of people sat around a table talking about their thoughts and their opinions and their stories about food. So it won't always just be Carrie and myself. Hopefully it will never just be the two of us <laughs> ever again. This is just the start. So in the words of all great podcasters, YouTubers, vloggers, whatever, I'm going to I'm going to hand over to you, Karis, to say those famous words. No, I don't think I could do it. It's... I'm, I'm going to do it. Oh, <laughs> please don't do it. I'm doing it. Please, if you enjoyed our podcast, like and subscribe, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks very much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again when we talk to some other people about their food stories. Bye.